And so when there's volatility, we are able to pull out ahead of time, put our money staking it in a high interest bearing of crypto on the side. Um, so when Bitcoin went down to you know 32,000, we had pulled out at 58,000 and then we bought back in at 32,000. So when most people lost 30 or 40% in January, we made 30% in January alone. Are you ready to be the master architect of your life? Are you ready to design your business and invest the needs that create the lifestyle you've always dreamt of? Are you ready to learn from entrepreneurs and millionaires who have achieved a certain level of success? Hey, this is Derek, location-independent entrepreneur, and you are listening to the Before the Millions podcast. Hi, I'm Gina Lofton. I am an investor, and you're listening to the Before the Millions podcast. Hey there, my name is Heather Havenwood, marketing coach and global entrepreneur. And you are listening to the Before the Millions podcast. Hey, this is Mark Asquith, the host of the 7 Minute Mentor podcast, global entrepreneur and all round geek. And you are listening to the Before the Millions podcast. I am MC Lobsher, the cash flow ninja, and you're listening to Before the Millions podcast. You're listening to the Before the Millions podcast. Whether you're looking to invest for cash flow or build an online business that allows you to be location independent, you've come to the right place mr hollywood himself presents the before the millions podcast and now your host deray olalaye what is going on good peeps welcome back to a brand new installment installment two zero seven of the before the millions podcast and as usual most of the time i am your host deray olalaye and on today's show we are featuring hedge fund investor Blake Templeton. And I must say that this was a conversation that was a breath of fresh air. Blake is a very intelligent investor and I had a whole lot of fun on this episode. I cannot wait for you to hear it. If you are not yet subscribed to the best podcast on the planet, I do truly mean that, beforethemillions.com www.beforethemillions.com forward slash episodes to get straight to the podcast. But yeah, go ahead and subscribe. Go ahead and give us a follow. Give us a share. Give us a like. Two thumbs up. Five stars, please. Por favor. And we're simply just trying to get in the ears of more listeners. We want to help people create the change that they've been seeking in their investments, in their portfolio, in their plan for financial freedom in their generational wealth plan. Speaking of planning and all that good stuff, I just got done creating my vision board. I talked about it on an earlier episode where now it's actually finished. And I am super excited to take it to Office Depot, get it laminated and stare at it every single day. Um, It's the first year I've ever actually created a real life-size vision board and it is beautiful. And I got a few goals on there. Some of them I will not be a liberty to discuss on the podcast, but most of them are pretty standard. You know, the every your your run in the mill goals, you know, your financial goals, your 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 health goals, you know, my workout plan, my my dietary habit, um, my self care goals. Right, this is the first year I've really had some self care goals. Um, I think self care is important. And I want to do a better job at that, right? I'm getting older, joints and stuff starting to ache. So I just want to definitely make sure I'm taking care of myself. So I got a few goals in that arena. But anyways, Mr. Templeton, 
Um, he is a hedge fund investor, and Blake started out similar to how a lot of us start, right? We we try a few different things, we listen to the podcast, and then we start, you know, we start dabbling in one thing here. We may make some money, we may not, but we eventually find our sweet spot. Some of us sooner than others. With Blake's path, he was successful with most of his endeavors, but he kept on reaching like a ceiling. And every time he reached that ceiling, he kind of just take a step back from the business to figure out where's the next best opportunity, right? Where do I want to spend my time, my money, and my effort? And um, is there going to be better growth than in the industry that I am now? So Blake's original start was in renovations and foreclosures. And he did really, really well in that space until he didn't. And he started thinking about syndications, but he quickly transition from the syndication model to the hedge fund model. And he'll talk about that on today's episode um, because there are lots of pros and cons that I didn't really realize until we talked about it today. I was like, all right, those are the reasons to invest in a hedge fund as opposed to a syndication. Um, Hedge funds are definitely more advantageous. And again, we'll talk about it on today's show. But then when he talks about what he's actually investing in in the hedge fund, right? A syndication is when people pull money together for, let's just say, an apartment deal. Well, a hedge fund is when people pull money together to a fund and that fund then goes on and buys multiple opportunities. So it's not just one deal that you're putting money in. You're putting money into an actual pool of money that is used to buy a ton of different deals. So the deals that Blake started buying in the hedge fund were self-storage deals and mobile home parks. Again, he left the single family space and he got into self-storage and mobile home parks. And he talks about why on today's episode. Again, he wanted to grow. He wanted to transfer. He wanted to figure out where's the next best opportunity. And then something funny in the market happened, right? And this is a mind-blowing stat, but 34% of all money in history was printed in the last 18 months. One third of all of the money ever printed was printed in the last 18 months. Blake said that on today's show. I was like, what? So that brought on the conversation of Bitcoin and blockchain and how they play a major role in his investment strategy. And I was like, hold on. And then he told me that he uses the hedge funds to invest in Bitcoin for him and his investors. I was like, hold on. Let's talk about this. And he calls it three dimensional investing. So apart from all the investing, we get into Blake's personal life, of course. We talk about becoming a third-party consultant for yourself, especially when you're feeling overwhelmed. We talk about the six-step process that Blake actually uses to overcome, and I'm actually going to implement this process because I believe it's that powerful. So with that being said, guys, I mean, we got some stuff to get into, and I didn't give us a tip of the week last week, so naturally, let's go ahead and jump to one for this week. DeRay's Tip of the Week. When people talk about the advantages of real estate, right? They talk about all the things that you've heard on so many of our episodes. You know, they talk about the depreciation effect, right? They talk about the fact that you're getting passive income from most likely tenants, right? Talk about the fact that you can fix and flip a home and make 50 grand in a few months, right? That that active one-time income. You know, but but rarely do people ever really talk about and some people mention it, but I don't think everybody really understands it. How real estate is a hedge against inflation. 2021 last year, we've seen the highest inflation rate in the last 40 years. I mean, you can witness it everywhere you go. The restaurants that you eat at the fast food joints, you pull up in the drive through line and like your meals are like a dollar fifty more. Everybody's increasing their prices. 
the cost of wood has gone has skyrocketed, right? The cost of everything is going up. Inflation is getting crazy. So ultimately, if inflation is getting crazy and $1 is still 100 cents, that means that $1 that used to be able to buy you X, Y, and Z is now only able to buy you X and Y, even though it's still a dollar. So oftentimes you may feel as though, well, I don't really feel the effects of inflation. Well, between, between the price increases and the decreased power of a dollar, you are feeling the effects of inflation and you're just not paying attention to it. So of course, real estate, which again, people fail to mention is one of the best hedges against inflation, but how and why? Reason being is as the price of fast food meals increase and more particularly as the price of things like wood increase, right? The natural price of the overall economy is increasing. The natural price of the housing market is increasing. It often correlates with inflation. And you're seeing that in all the hottest markets right now. You're seeing that across the U.S. So the value of your property, the value of your real estate has increased as a byproduct of inflation. Rental rates are rising. Demand is rising. So if you're like, where can I put this dollar right now that's losing money, that's, that's losing potential every single day, where can I put this dollar so that it gets more powerful, so that I'm not losing money, I'm not, I'm not seeing, I'm not feeling the effects of inflation. In fact, I'm capitalizing because of inflation. And again, ladies and gentlemen, that answer is real estate. Obviously, there's a ton of different types of inflation hedges, gold commodities, things of that nature. But that's not what this podcast is about. I want to talk to you about real estate. And I want to always make sure that I'm guiding you towards the right asset class for whatever it is that you're looking to solve. And investing in real estate in certain types of ways may not be the, may not be the best hedge for inflation, right? I've started holding notes. And holding notes is not necessarily the best vehicle to hedge against inflation. Not to say it's not a good vehicle to hedge against inflation, because it is but it just doesn't have all of the bonuses. As an investor who owns the asset, you have many things going in your favor as a hedge for inflation. So I'm not telling you not to buy notes. I'm not telling you not to create and own notes. That's that's where diversification of your portfolio come in. But I want you to know that downright owning real estate, especially rental real estate, is how you can hedge against the 7% inflation rate right now because things are crazy. Let me paint a picture because I need you to understand this. Now, let's just take out this crazy 2021 year where inflation was upwards of 7%. Inflation has been below 3%, right? And if we just take the high end of that, let's just take it at 3%. And we say inflation is going to be 3% over the next 30 years. So let's say you own a home and this home is worth $400,000. Inflation is increasing by 3% a year on a $400,000 home. What this highlights is that because inflation is increasing, the value of your dollar is decreasing. So this basically says that cash now is worth more than cash in the future, right? The single dollar that you have now is worth more than what it would be worth in the future, even though it's still a dollar. Therefore, inflation is letting debtors pay lenders back with money that is worth less 
than when it was originally borrowed. So that means that inflation itself is paying down your debt every single year by about $12,000. Inflation itself is helping you do that. This is why it's important to own a home. This is just one of the reasons. We're not talking about the fact that the property value is increasing with inflation as well. So you're getting it on both ends. The debt is decreasing by inflation while your property value is increasing along with inflation and as well as your rental payments increase along with inflation. So your savings is not going to cut it. In fact, your savings is detrimental to your overall financial success. And I want the power of your money to increase with time, to increase with inflation. Because one thing I do know is inflation is not taking a backseat, is not stopping anytime soon. I mean, inflation has gone up every single year for decades, according to every single internet registry I could find. And you may wonder why, but take a step back and think about the largest debtors in the world, right? The government. So naturally, they want their debt obligation or better stated, the value of their debt obligation to be a lot less. So if they need their debt obligation to be a lot less, what can they do to make sure that their debt obligation is a lot less? Increase inflation. I mean, hey, real estate investors are taking it right out of their playbook. So it's not stopping anytime soon. So we need to be able to counteract the negative forces of inflation and turn them into wins, into positive ones for us as investors. And now your feature presentation. Yeah, when I got started just in life, my parents were really big on uh, this positive mental framework, affirmations that, you know, you could do whatever you want. The sky is the limit. And so I grew up with that mindset. We were middle class, nothing special as far as income, nothing was given to me, um, except the mental framework that everything before me was available. The opportunities were endless. My grandparents were in multi-level marketing and had done really well. And so I remember when I was 13 years old, they would take me traveling to all the conferences and I would be riding in their, you know, large a motor home. They traveled in the motor home everywhere and their upline who was, you know, a diamond would ride with them in their motor home. He had his own, but he'd ride in theirs and he was blinged out with, you know, diamond watches and diamond rings. And it, and it was just whether you're for that or not, it was that uh, prototype of what you're like, man, I want to be a diamond like him, you know? And so I remember his name was Dick. And I remember when Dick was, he was sitting with me in the captain chairs and my grandfather was actually driving and we were in Phoenix and we were actually going to, to go have fun, to go play right after the conference. And it was on a Monday morning and Dick looked at me and he said, like you see the right lane or the right side of traffic and I said yes and he said you see how deep the cars are and how they're all stopped they're trying to get somewhere but they're stuck and I said yes and he said do you see how far can you see and so we were trying to find like mile markers of how far I could see and the traffic never ended and it was stuck and he said do you know why we're going 65 miles an hour this way with no traffic. 
and why they're stuck and yet all the traffic is built up. And he just made this clear paradigm shift that the natural condition of man was to fall asleep and become a machine. And that everyone on the right side had fallen asleep and became a machine. He said, they're all going into work. They're all going into their eight to five. They're all stuck on a rat race. They're stuck, like literally in traffic. They can't go anywhere. They're going to be late to work because the road's not big enough for how many people are stuck on that side. But he said, the road is so wide and the opportunities are so vast for those who will take a leap of faith and run the brick wall with all their heart, soul, and mind. And that impacted me for the rest of my life, being around that mindset it demolishes fear. It demolishes all the problems in life. It demolishes all the ifs and thens. And if this happens and this is going to hurt me. And when you can I have a strong Christian faith, I live in that bold, aggressive mindset that God's for me and not against me. And, and uh, so that helps me get through all my obstacles and having a visual like that was like, man, if I have that in my spiritual walk, man, I want to have that in my business life as well. I like it. I like it a lot. It's an awesome, awesome story. So in 2005, right, we're going to fast forward just a little bit, right, which I'm, we're fast forwarding quite a bit. But in 2005, I want you to kind of walk me through what stage you are in life, what you're going through, what the past few years have been like, and then what you start to see in 2006 that allows you to start your business. Yeah. So I was the guy, I'll even back up just a little bit. I was the guy who told my parents, like, I'm not going to college and I'm, I'm going to go do this, you know, multi-level marketing thing. And I'm going to go start my own business outside of that. And I'm going to do this. My parents like, you're going to college. And I'm like, no, I'm actually not. And like, you're going to college. So guess what? I went to college. And so I went to Abilene Christian University and one year, and then went to LCU Lubbock Christian University one year. And each year I just went to my uh, the board or, you know, the advisors and was telling them, you know, how I was going to do my schedule, how I wasn't really doing college. I was just going to do classes that I wanted to do. And, you know, it was such a foreign concept, but I remember, I remember my last class of my second year, it was organizational communication. And the teacher was teaching us how a rock speaks to you, how it communicates to you by essence of it, not actually speaking like that was communication. And I was like, I am out. Like I can't do this anymore. And so it was this dream built in me from, you know, from when I was little that I could do whatever I wanted. And I said, Man, I want to go change the world. And it's funny how you can still be prideful and arrogant and immature, but that dream, the dream itself can still be pure. And so I, mean, I wanted to change the world. I didn't even know what change the world looked like, but I wanted to change the world. And so I dropped out of college without a penny to my name and I didn't know you couldn't defer student loans anymore and humbly had to move back in with mommy and daddy. And uh, that's when my parents had got a letter in the mail to go to a real estate conference. I go to the real estate conference. I mean, I am hooked. I'm like, I know nothing about real estate, but man, I know numbers like this. My brain works with formulas and numbers. Like I can do optics and metrics. And so that's 2005, 2006, we started my girlfriend at the time. We were, we started in uh, knocking on doors on foreclosures and got really good at just loving on people, stopping foreclosures, getting in, purchasing the house, helping keep a foreclosure off the record, and then doing a double closing making the arbitrage, making the, you know, the cash in between. So we bought it, 
sold it same day and made the money in the middle. And then we started doing, you know, renovations. And in 08, I had, you know, eight different crews doing eight different renovations and we were doing wholesales on the side. And then I was teaching it, you know, this principle in a conference setting and the single family real estate side is a great gig. It's a great gig. If you want to make great income, you want to do your thing, but it doesn't help you scale an empire. And so it was about 2012. And I realized, man, like, this is so good. We've done 300 plus transactions. Um, this is so good, but uh, nothing is going to scale. You know, I've got to, I want to actually scale this into a, to where it's actually working for me. And I'm not talking about just like a passive income. I'm talking about like scale in massive, large properties, institutional size properties. And so that's when we started getting into commercial real estate because the numbers, your buy is bigger, but your income is bigger. Your increase is way bigger. Your, your equity is way bigger. And so we got into corporate housing, built a corporate housing development in the oil industry, then got into apartments. And, but we realized we, every time we found a direction that we were going to go to scale, we realized, man, to have sustainable growth, you have to be in a niche that you own. And it was too difficult for us to own the apartment world because as soon as we got a really good one, that market took off and you were starting to have to buy at the price you're wanting to sell. So what we did is we said, man, we want to get really good at one single niche or one you know, single industry inside real estate that has all the best pieces of real estate. And we found that to be self-storage and mobile home parks. And we can talk more about that if you like, but and we went into self-storage and mobile home parks really hard and uh, started acquiring in a fund. So not syndications where we do one property and have multiple people invest into it, but a hedge fund where there's multiple properties in one hedge fund. And then individuals are investing in taking a proportional piece of each property. So these properties are 10 million to, you know, 40 million. And then there'll be 10 to, you know, 15 of those inside a single hedge fund. So um, hedge fund would be a, total of 300 plus or minus million at its entirety. And uh, what's so beautiful about that model of scaling is you no longer, with our model, we no longer sell the property. That, that's the key thing. So on like a syndication, we're doing a, an apartment or something, you found a beautiful nest egg. You found the value add. We're going to go do some renovations and then scale it. And so then you sell everyone makes great return, but now everyone's got to pay capital gains. And everyone's like, at the time they're going to pay capital gains, like, man, I wish you wouldn't have sold. <laughs> so then we realized, man, what if you could buy properties, find those treasures in that 10 to, you know, a 30 or $40 million institutional size. What if you could find those, do the value play, and then keep it as a legacy property and then refinance it every three to five years, pulling out that equity and distributing that to the investors tax-free. And it works so beautifully because self-storage and mobile home parks have such high appreciation, such high cash flow. Our model has very, very low expenses, very easy to scale because there's, for instance, for the self-storage and mobile home parks, I'm assuming for the uh, self-storage, we're purchasing 
large properties that are already built and then doing value adds. So there's very minimal upkeep expenses and maintenance. And then on self store, I mean, on a manufactured home parks, these are where the tenants own the homes. So long lease periods because they own the homes, it costs too much for them to move. And then we're just keeping up with the roads, the fence, the sign, you know, and those kind of things. So the maintenance is really low. So easy to scale. And so it turned into a beautiful model that uh, on the cash flow in these two niches, in the cash flow, we do uh, cost segregation. So an advanced depreciation model. So on the cash flow, the majority of the cash flow gets washed out for taxes. So it's almost tax free on the cash flow. And then on the refinance, on the equity side, it's a refinance. So when that money is distributed, it's tax-free because it's a loan and it's not actually equity being taken out as a profit. So though it's profit, it's tax-free because it's a loan. So it's a beautiful strategy, wealth building, scaling strategy for investors to tap into. I love that. I love that. I love the vividness for sure, Blake. Now for to play devil's advocate, and instead of me playing devil's advocate, I want you to play devil's advocate. For those people who are in the syndication niche, and they understand the hedge fund model, what do you think keeps them in the syndication niche? What do you think keeps them using that model? I know that capital gains is a major benefit for, for the hedge fund model, but for the syndication model, why are so many people still jumping in? Why are so many people still thinking that's the cream of the crop? Yeah, that's a great question. And the reason is because they're, they're thinking small. And I know that's because I used to be there and you can't find, if you can't find enough properties fast enough, then all you're going to have is one property in that hedge fund versus, you know, the syndication is all you're going to do. So unless someone is syndicating, you know, five or six properties at a time, they don't have enough inventory and then they don't have enough, enough operations team. So if you have, you know, if you got two or three, you need a lot more properties to have economy of scale for management. So the management of even just from the acquisitions of operations to all the underwriting of the properties to the financing of the property to all the pieces there's so many pieces that's typically going to be your guy who's syndicating he's doing all those pieces so he can't he just doesn't have the bandwidth to do that many at a time so that's the difference doing a syndication is way better than staying in the single family world you just got to do more and more and more to continue that going However, the hedge fund model, it allows people to tap into all the properties that are in that hedge fund. So again, you've got to have massive inventory and then massive help on the operations side. And so, um, yeah, that's the main reason. It, it just, there's a wall between, there's a chasm between the two because it's a whole nother level of, of growth. Are there, are there any differences between the, the techniques and the, I guess, the rules surrounding raising money um, in a hedge fund as opposed to a syndication? Are there any major differences? Oh, yeah, it just depends on what the actual, what structure they're doing. If they're doing a 506B or 506C or a Reg A. So just the, the structure is just depends if they can actually advertise it or they can't advertise it or they can only have a certain amount of investors. But yeah, so the, the hedge fund itself is no difference. It just, you could do each of those structures in either model. And it just depends on what structure you chose to do with your PPM, your private placement memorandum. So what I'd really love to just to dig into is, you know, 
why we're here and then what else we're doing. And though real estate is, that's my bread and butter in this sense of like, that's what I've known for, you know, 15 plus years and 300 plus transactions. Like that's what I've known. This is like the joy of finding the deal and growing it and helping investors prosper. But what we realized is inflation is growing at such a fast degree on the fed.org website they have a chart called the M1 money supply. And the M1 money supply chart is a chart showing how much inflation has taken place because of all the money printing that's happened. And once we started doing all this massive research on like how the global economy affects, you know, our real estate holdings in the sense of like, because inflation's happening on all goods and services, and the money someone's making is got to, you got to be outbeat inflation. We realize that 34% of all money ever printed in history was printed in the last 18 months. 34% of all money in history. So the US dollar, all money in history, 34% was printed in the last 18 months. And so what happened was the inflation rate went catabolic. And we're in the process of now starting to feel it. So it's about 15% plus or minus is the inflation rate where, you know, if you look at the, what's called the CPI, which is just a basket of goods that the government would try to say, this is what the inflation rate is. They used to say 2% and now it says maybe 7%, but the, that basket doesn't have the things that you and I, you know, buy regularly. So like rental car, inflation has gone up 87%, you know? So there's things like that, that are things that we do regularly, the costs of goods and services you do regularly, all that's gone up on average about 15%. So we started thinking, man, we've got to outbeat inflation. Now our real estate holdings do, but we started thinking, man, how might we beat that at a higher level? The reality is everything is going digital. Everything is going digital. So cryptocurrency was something we started looking at in 2017, and it really grew legs in 2019. So in 2019, Bitcoin actually had a blockchain, which is like a platform. So like the iPhone has a platform called the App Store. Bitcoin has a platform called the blockchain, and there's businesses like applications that live on it and there's lots of money flowing through it and in 2019 everything started coming together where businesses on the blockchain started actually thriving and and producing lots of velocity lots of money and it started uh, then you had square you know square decided to actually invest into bitcoin and paypal you know invested into bitcoin and then you had all your major credit cards Visa and MasterCard, these guys, you know, American Express, they created custom credit cards made for Bitcoin so that you could go to the restaurant and use it at the restaurant. And Bitcoin has what's called a high rail system that when you slide that credit card, that's your Bitcoin money, it changes it from Bitcoin to US dollar and you literally could functionally use it. And that changed everything. So fast forward, we have a hedge fund in cryptocurrency where we hold a, 
a uh, real quick like how did you get yeah. there i mean you moved from the syndication model to hedge funds and you're you know that type of assets that you put in the hedge funds are real assets what gave you the idea what gave you the prompting to want to jump, jump into digital assets yeah so the big shift was man inflation is growing at 15 so, so this is when you were kind of looking for some way to to beat inflation you were just looking for different opportunities different ideas yeah, yeah. That, that's how we, okay got it yeah you got it so so literally we put everything on the table and this is one thing that we've always done you know like our goal is to walk in wisdom and so it's earthly wisdom is really a poor benefit because we start utilizing our eyes, we start leaning on our own in our own ideas, our own thoughts. But man, I want God's wisdom. Like I, He knows the the end from the beginning. So I want to lean on what He knows. So we just cut ties with all of our earthly emotions, and then we lay every investment out. So everything from gold to the stock market to bonds to you know all the different uh, niches in real estate from hotels to office space to apartments to self-storage mobile home parks to digital assets so we look at cryptocurrency as like digital real estate and we realized that in this world bitcoin had gone from in the last decade it's grown 20 million percent from one cent it started at one penny to now you know it obviously hovers around that 42,000 at this current moment. And so nothing has done that. In the last decade, it's averaged 200% a year, year after year. And so we started going in. So in every niche or industry we go into, we then go into a, so once we find that one, we go into a deep dive of massive market analysis. You start realizing that now there's 16,000 cryptocurrencies only like 5% of them or less than that are really something that's actually going to hold weight, meaning they either have a platform called a blockchain and there's businesses that run on it, or it has lots of possibilities for the uh, software applications that are behind it. So for those of you who don't know much about cryptocurrency, the big picture is you could take the word currency off of it and just say it's software. Crypto would be software. So like Apple, the company Apple is software. It's a software company. They produce phones, but it's a software company. Google, yeah, there's a lot of different things, products they're doing now, but they're a software company. Amazon, yeah, they do groceries and they try to supply different products through as a broker, but they're really a software that does that. So Bitcoin is a software and you value something based on the, the ability of what the software can do and achieve. And so what we start looking at in our hedge fund is we typically hold six currencies or cryptos and, and we hold Bitcoin, a portion of Bitcoin. And then the other ones, we trade the narratives. And so we're able to see the behind the scenes of what's happening on their blockchain or what's happening, how much money is moving. And we can see when one is going to do well, so we'll hold it. And then we can see when one's not going to do well, so then we'll sell it after the narrative, the story. Had a great story. It sounded so good. So we can ride that story for a couple of weeks or something, and then we sell. And so, for instance, when uh, some people will say like, "Well, I'll just hold, I'll just hold Bitcoin. I'll just hold that, you know, in what's called cold storage. I'll just put it on a." my Bitcoin on a USB drive and just tuck it away. And what happens, it happens. But the idea is with wisdom, 
you want to be agile and versatile like digital real estate. So we want to actually buy the house low and then sell the house at the opportune time and then buy another one and sell, so buy low and sell high. And that's what we do in the hedge fund. And it's kind of what we were talking about earlier, Adoree, is that when in this last little spurt of volatility, when Bitcoin went took a massive loss with all the cryptos did, with the stock market and everything else did, most people lost 30% in their Bitcoin. Now, will it come back? Oh, yeah, it's going to come back. It'll far surpass it. But the wisdom, the two millimeters, is when everyone else just rode that down, because we have a strategy to be versatile and agile, we pulled all of our funds out of Bitcoin, let it ride its way all the way down, and then bought back in at the low. So in January, a good example is um, January, we made 30%. On our money just in January alone, where most people lost 30%. And so it's a beautiful market. Everything's going digital. Good way to look at Bitcoin is it's like digital gold. It's like a, a bank in cyberspace. It is uh, it's thermodynamic and understanding that everything's going digital. Someone asked me, like, what does that mean? But like in real estate, when we go to the title company, those records are filed at the courthouse. And everything at the courthouse, everything in the filing system, that's all going to be on the blockchain. So Bitcoin has a blockchain where files will actually live. And you will see the, you'll have the ability to, to see everyone, you'll be able to see everyone's files on the blockchain. Voting, there's businesses in the blockchain that would control voting to make it accurate. So instead of having a, I mean, in 2000, you know, in the 21st century for us to have, you know, fill in the blank or the bubble in voting, that, that's just crazy, you know, but in the blockchain, it allows you to, everyone can do an, if you're alive and you have, you know, you're on the digital system, then you can vote online in the actual blockchain and it records accuracy. So there's so many different things like that. It's on the blockchain. And so we're investing into the cryptos because they're software and they have businesses behind them. So real quick, I want to kind of go back a little bit. Like you mentioned that you guys are able to, you guys are able to see behind the scenes. Tell me how and tell me why you guys are privileged to be able to see behind the scenes. Yeah. So it's like, let me take you to um, an example that everyone might know, like, like Lehman Brothers. When Lehman Brothers before they actually, you know, so, went down and, you know, filed bankruptcy, everyone thought they were amazing. And all the actual consultants and all the economists, you know, who are posting things in the newspaper or posting things, you know, it's like, this is the best time to buy. And as the stock price is going down, they're like, and now you'll never see this low ever again. Oh my. And it's now gone from, you know, a massive high to now it's like 27 cents. If you don't buy now, you don't know what you're doing, you know, and then they file bankruptcy. And at the same, at the, the whole time that was happening, you could have gone behind the scenes, gone into the public record, and you could have seen their actual finances. You could have gone into their actual T12 
spreadsheet of their profit and loss. You could have gone and seen a story because numbers tell stories. You could have seen, hold up, their assets are going down, meaning they're selling stuff off and their cash is going up and yet they're still not profitable. So you could see, oh my gosh, they're selling stuff off. They're, they're just liquidating to try to hold position and the company is literally dwindling, but no one did that. And so now to answer your question, what we can do, because every crypto has, and it's the back end is open, it's open to the public. You can actually, and we use a lot of advanced softwares and apps that allow us to see things uh, very clearly and with spreadsheet, with uh, algorithms and stuff that help us read them, all the data um, very uh, efficiently. But you can go back and see, for instance, on the Bitcoin blockchain, you can go see how much velocity, how much money is going through the actual apps on in the blockchain. You can see um, the transactions that are happening. You can see the adoption of the software. And so you might see a certain crypto like the Dogecoin or something where everyone gets so hypey about because it had a narrative of maybe an influencer talking about it. However, if you go back and look at the back end, you go back and look at what's happening on it, there's nothing happening on it. So you would be able to see like, oh, that's just a narrative. There's a story without numbers. There's something that people are buying into, but it's fleeting. And so that's a way to actually, you know, that, that's how we do our real estate, right? In our real estate, someone could do a drone footage video and it goes viral. And you could say, if you wanted to, I want to buy that property, but you wouldn't. You'd go look at the numbers first. You'd go look at the back end. You'd go look at the value. You'd go look at the how many you know, square feet. You go look at the, you know, the cost for renovations. You go look at the, what's a potential fair market value. You'd go look at the back end to know if it was a good property or not. And so that's the same thing we do in digital real estate, in cryptocurrency. And, um, and there's just no one doing it. You know, there's no one doing it with that mindset. Everyone's doing it. Just throw the money in and see if it works. No, that's super interesting. You know, people always look at risk. Uh, people always look at things as risk because they don't understand how the numbers work. And once you understand- That's a great numbers, point. It's not really risky to the people who are actually in it, who are actually doing it. Speaking of Lehman Brothers, the firm I used to work for, is actually the firm that audited Lehman Brothers and they said they didn't do anything wrong. So we'll leave that <laughs> at that. But I'll, yeah, I wanna, I wanna just make sure that when you say you were behind the scenes, it's not something that you have exclusive access and rights to. Like anybody can go behind the scenes. Anybody, anybody. can do it. Right. So this is something that, again, when we're talking to the listeners, this is attainable. This is tangible. This is real. And when we talk about the fact that you guys have a platform where the listeners don't even have to do the research, don't even have to get as educated as some others might have to because of you know this hedge fund. Talk to me about the birth of the hedge fund, because I know you guys were, were doing hedge funds for real estate, but now it seems like you guys are kind of doing the same thing in the crypto space. So talk to me about that. Yeah. So what that means is a hedge fund in the crypto space. And then before I even get into that, there's, there's very, very few actually doing it. And this is why those who would normally run a hedge fund would either be in real estate or in stocks. So in the stock world, financial advisors can't actually invest your money into cryptocurrency because of the regulations. 
So until that's passed, the only way for, you know, someone to invest is to do it themselves all by themselves and kind of just play Russian roulette or to find one of the few who's taken this institutional model, brought it down and put it into a hedge fund where individuals who are accredited investors at a minimum of 250,000, if you're a accredited investor, you could actually invest into the hedge fund on an institutional level, having institutional knowledge of what the what and where to invest to have that strong return advantage. So how that came to be, you know, was we realized, you know, my uh, expertise is in real estate, in the physical real estate. And we need to be in the digital real estate. This is where everything's going. Matter of fact, even the US dollar, even the US is making their own cryptocurrency. They're in the process right now of creating their own cryptocurrency. And their desire is to slowly get rid of the physical dollar. Now, you and I know why. So they can print more of it easily, digitally, with just because everything's digital anyway. So if they get rid of the physical dollar, it's way easier for them to, you know, hopefully control it. And you and I want to get outside of the U.S. dollar. That's the freedom of the entrepreneur. We don't want to be tied to something that's inflating, which means it's the dollar's dying. It's, it's literally becoming worth less. So when we created the hedge fund, I realized I needed expertise, people who um, are the mad scientists so we hired in Boron Capital, where we brought in in Boron Capital chief strategists who actually run the, the mad science behind our fund, and which allows, you know, like I said, your listeners to You're either- me back to chemistry class. You got a mad scientist, you got Boron that's Capital. <laughs> that's right. That's right. <laughs> is that, is and, that how you came up with the name Boron from the elements chart? Yeah, it actually is. Uh, this is back in uh, the early, early days. And uh, I had a silly name and my wife was like, you know what? Boron is the strongest element on the periodic table. And in its proper form, it can cut a diamond. I'm like, okay, I like let's it. do that. <laughs> uh, yeah, before I forget, you know, for those of you, for the listeners who aren't accredited, because the hedge funds, for those listeners, number one, the goal would be to try to do everything you can to become accredited. But I want to give you a, an, a way to do that faster because uh, we all like to collapse time. We all like to find, especially when inflation's 15%, we got to collapse time. Time's not on our side. And what we realized was everyone who was not accredited was like, how do I do this? How do I do it? I know I can't get in the fund, but how do I do it? So we ended up creating a program, you know, the, the fast track to show individuals on how they can actually invest into cryptocurrency Getting past all the camouflage noise, there's so much noise on cryptocurrency. You know, turn off the news because the news is looking at the front of the narrative, which is all the drama. We're looking at the back of the narrative. We're looking at the numbers. So turn off the news. And so we built this uh, fast track course, which teaches them everything they need to know on investing in cryptocurrency. And then we, uh, we built an inner circle essentially, basically where you can be inner circle, where you can come into our world, you can be a fly on the wall. And then we show you exactly the trades that we're doing every week. And then that allows you to do it yourself. So obviously you can't be in it if you're not accredited, but this way you can learn and then you can do it yourself and then reap the same rewards that we're reaping. So that's in the inner circle. And 
And it's a nominal fee. And I, I'll just be honest with you. If you've got 10 grand to invest, if you've got something like that to work with, it's a no brainer. The amount that you can, the potential that you can make with that is by and large, larger than anywhere else that you can. And that's how we came to that, that model of digital real estate. I like it, Blake. We'll definitely link to those resources in the show notes for sure. I want to get back into your story before we end the show. And yeah. you, you've been blessed to have a lot of knowledge and wisdom being poured into you over time. And I just want to know, as you built these businesses, you've transitioned from you know single family to apartment complexes to, all right, let me go ahead and look at the syndication model. Let's try this for a while. And you know, hedge funds and now digital real estate. I mean, a lot of this can be overwhelming when people are, you know, wearing a few different hats and switching from, and it's not as if you're switching because something is not working, you're switching right. strategically, right? When you get overwhelmed, when you get in focus, or maybe you've lost focus temporarily, what do you yeah. do to get yourself back in alignment? And if it helps, what questions do you ask yourself? Yeah, it's a really great question. So the Lord gave me this program, if you will, and it's called third-party consultant. It's so powerful. So basically, when I get overwhelmed, step one is you just call a timeout. You got to call a timeout. I got to quit leaning on my own understandings because everything gets crazy. Everything gets heavy. So you just got to call a timeout. Step two, you got to cut the emotions. So the only thing that's keeping me in that feeling of overwhelm is the emotions, but they're earthly emotions that are here today and gone tomorrow. So call a timeout, step one. Step two, cut the emotions. Step three, is become a third-party consultant. And what that means is, just like you would do for your friend, your friend comes to you and they're overwhelmed, and you're like, oh yeah, just do this and do that. And, or you, know, you see someone struggling, somehow you go into the deep you know, greatness within you and go help that person. And yet you can't help yourself. It's like the plumber who can fix someone else's leak and the faucet's leaking at his own house. Right. So what if you could become a third-party consultant for yourself? What if what you didn't have to carry the emotions? So you call a timeout, cut the emotions, and you became a third party to yourself. So I do that. And I just ask myself quality questions. You know, how might I collapse time and speed up the process? What resources do I have available to me right now that I'm not using? What is my dream and what's the conviction of it? And then I go into that again. I recondition myself to remember the conviction, the why, how and why I'm doing it. Then I go to just scripture, you know, like trust in the Lord, lean not on your own understanding in every way, acknowledge him and he'll set your foot, your crooked path straight. So it's just that picture of like, man, if I lean on my own understanding, everything's going to get crazy. So when I get overwhelmed, I do that process. Then step four, I open the enemy's playbook. The enemy always has lies. Everything is a lie. But if I can picture the lie, if I can acknowledge which lie it is, you know, like this is going to happen. He's starting to make me feel failure before failure even happens, or he's trying to make me feel like I'm not good enough, but that's just an assumption. So I can open the enemy's playbook and I see, oh, just like you were on the football field. If I could read the other coaches plays, this is what that is. Then I would step five, I would set a new play. I would start fresh. I would go in with empowering statements. Like I am, I have the internal strength of a gladiator and the power of the most high God. Like there's no weapon can be used against me. I walk, I own the domain that I walk into and, you know, going in with everything, with this faith and this encouragement and the joy set before me, knowing that nothing can hinder me in this life. 
and that there's greatness on the other side. And then step six, I go back into the game. And that process in the beginning could take 30 minutes or two hours. But when you get good at it, you could do it in 30 seconds. Like that slight little overwhelm comes on, call timeout, cut the emotions, third-party consultant, ask a couple of questions, realize the enemy's trying to lie to me, change my play, go back into the game, and it's a whole new world. Well, I'm glad, I'm really glad I asked that question. That's a beautiful six-step process. Like this is an amazing podcast. This episode is brought to you by Fundrise. It's never been easier to become a real estate investor. With as little as $500, watch your money passively work for you by investing in real estate through a crowdfunding platform like Fundrise. In just a few minutes, you can invest in hundreds of highly vetted multi-million dollar properties such as hotels, apartment buildings, and offices all around the U.S. Based on your financial goals, Fundrise will detail a few REITs, real estate investment trusts, for you to choose from with the click of a button you can own fractional shares of really amazing deals that before the jobs act of 2012 were impossible for the everyday non-accredited investor to even hear about much less invest in now what i like about fundrise is their ridiculously low advisory fees so dig this at 1.5 percent my actual returns on fundrise are outperforming my stated returns and other assets even though they advertise higher returns so Fundrise has no hidden costs, no management fees, no unfavorable terms. And for the BTM tribe, head over to beforethemillions.com forward slash Fundrise. That's F-U-N-D-R-I-S-E for your first three months of advisory fees totally waived. Yes, the actual only fee that Fundrise charges is being waived for three months. Simply head over to beforethemillions.com forward slash Fundrise and welcome yourself to a real alternative to investing in the stock market. That link, one last time, is beforethemillions.com forward slash fundrise. Lifestyle design acceleration hacks. What is your favorite Before the Millions book? The book that I would say is most practical is the book Scale by Jeff Hoffman. And it's so practical. He was the founder of Priceline and he's it's so practical. It helped chapter 13 helps you with your actual time. Priceline is a software. Do what? Priceline is a software. That's right. He's a software. That's right. That's right. <laughs> Change your whole mind. Yeah, the book is so good. As you're trying to be the chief of your whole life, it helps you recognize how to make things, how to be smarter, not work harder, how to make your time he, he breaks all your time up in a b c and d tasks so like your a task your highest value anyway it's amazing it changes the whole entire way you think and that's how you scale you've got to tap into wisdom beyond yourself i like it i like it a lot first time recommendation what is your favorite lifestyle design app this can be a business app or tool Let's see, what I use the most would probably be, I'll tell you what, a really good one is, uh, it's called Life360. And it's where I can track my wife's car. So no uh -huh. more thoughts of like fear that she's like off the road and deserted somewhere. No fear of like, is she coming? Like, where is she? Her phone's turned off, you know, but it'll also tell you if the speed goes up high. So like if someone kidnapped her and like they took off with her, It'll bang my phone like, hey, something's wrong. It'll tell me if she's in a crash. It'll tell me all these things. So, yeah, if you got a loving heart for your girl, 
Life 360. <laughs> I, like I like it. I like it. I think you have to be a little bit careful with that one, but I like it for sure. <laughs> <laughs> what do you enjoy most about the way your lifestyle is currently designed? Uh, my morning routine and my evening routine. So my morning routine is full of empowering statements. So as we talked about, like changing the play. So I start with that and out loud with emotion, consistently with repetition, empowering statements of who I am, who I am to the Lord, what my purpose is. And yeah, I've just, I'll spend, you know, five or 10, 15, 20 minutes just going through out loud, engaging myself, and then I'll war out loud for somebody. So it's like caring for somebody else. So praying with conviction out loud for God do and help somebody else. And then I'll spend multiple other things that I'll always get a workout in. Even if my day got started late, always get a workout in. Like there's no way around it. I have to get a workout in. There's so many other things. The morning routine and the evening routine. Evening routine, I always, I always prepare myself for bed. So I prepare myself for the next day with the same type of empowering statements. But these are like helping me go into a deep rim cycle like reminding me who I am and, and the peace that transcends all understanding, reminding me that, that I've done my best and that God will do the rest. And like change, like, so that entrepreneur, like the mind's still going at nighttime. And so it's like, helps turn all that off so that you'll sleep really good. Absolutely. Yeah, actually, I do these things called the tip of the week on this show for every episode. And I think the last week or the week before, one of the recent weeks, it was definitely talking about how important the evening routine is as well. Everybody talks about your morning routine, your, you know, your miracle morning, your, your 5 a.m. club, but an evening routine is just as powerful. And it, oh, it's so important. It makes you up on the right side of things, right? So yeah. I love that. What were the sacrifices that you knew you had to make before the millions to get to where you are today? It's a good question. I think the biggest sacrifices are going were, you know, like in the moment it didn't seem like it was was painful, but it was the not living the normal life, which ironically now I would call that the natural condition of man where you fall asleep and become a machine. But just the, the the carefree world of you always go to do the thing and you know you're just no purpose. In those moments, it's like, if it looked like a sacrifice, I, I can't go do that because I have purpose and a deadline, right? I can't go do that. I can't go to that thing, but I have this. And and just realizing, so there's so many different things like that, that I'd say sacrifices like um, emotional sacrifices. You know, when you got big dreams and even bigger goals, the bigger they are, the more God has to like change your capacity inside you to be able to handle it without falling. So if he just gives it to you, you know, you'll literally become selfish and, you know, entitled and you'll go downhill quick. So the bigger your dream, the more emotional like growth he has to do to purify you. And that's the largest sacrifice because everyone, all the stuff he's put everyone, he's, he's allowed to happen. If you knew ahead of time, you would never want that goal or that purpose because it's like, that's oh, not worth it. But clearly God had a bigger plan. Like God believes that you're, you have so much greatness in you I and mean, he's got so much he wants to give you. So that's the, probably the biggest sacrifice is just the emotional turmoil because why is it a sacrifice? Because you can't actually believe the lies of the earthly realm. You can't take upon the, you're not good enough. You know, the, you'll never make it. If you do that, you're going to fail and it's going to hurt these people. Like 
the sacrifice, the pain is like having to like pull that stuff back. And when something bad does happen, like being able to not feel what the enemy's telling you and actually believe the truth that sets you free. And so, yeah, however, the, that sacrifice is the most valuable thing of the whole journey. Who was essential to your growth before the millions and why? Yeah, there could be so many people from mentors. I'll say two. One was Rob McCorkle, and he is a someone who disciples me. So I pour into a lot of people, but man, you got to be poured into. And so he disciples me every week, and it's so good to have a sounding board and someone as you're growing and doing things, he's making sure he's helping me make sure that I'm aligned with God and that I'm not taking a thought and pulling it way over here and losing my affections to who I love the most, which is God. And I'd say number two is Tony Robbins. I'm in his platinum partnership. And so it's at his inner circle. And so I've traveled the world, been to his island twice in Fiji and Canada and India and so many other places. But he really helped me, two things he really helped me with was one, I was I was very significant driven and I was very certainty driven. So as an achiever, if you have to have certainty and you have to have significance, whew, those are like a time bomb. So he helped me transform how I thought that my deeper values were growth and contribution. And back then I'd have been like, oh no, you know, I'm already, I already give a ton and I already try to grow a ton but it shifted the whole entire mindset. Like I don't have to have my name on the plaque on the wall. I don't have to have, um, people don't have to know me as the guy who is so amazing. I don't, I don't need any of that. And then, you know, Rob really helped me see like, all I need that is from God. So that transforms everything of why you're growing and who you're becoming. I like it. I like it a lot. Well, ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Templeton, again, we've learned so much about your journey. We've learned so much about your ambition and what you've done for the real estate community and now the crypto community has been absolutely amazing. If the listeners want to learn a little bit more about you, they want to drop in, ask you a question to check out your website, say hi, check out some of the offerings you guys have. Where can they find some of your information? Yeah, I think the absolute best thing, um, we talked about Inner Circle. Uh, for those of you who are like, man, I'm not accredited, but uh, I absolutely want to be in a crypto world. I, I get it, the digital, the digital real estate. I see the markets going there. Um, and I want to collapse time. I want to make more money on my money. Or if you're like, hey, I am accredited. I, I can't, I've got that money to, to throw into that and to invest wisely and make a strong return. Or you have got any other things that you want to like tap into me directly. The best way to do that, I'm a, if you pull out your cell phone, the best way to do that is to text the phone number 877-771-771. 0615. Now, this is like, this is direct. So, this is for DeRay only. 877 771 0615. What I'm going to have you guys do is text the a word and a number. And it's invest three. No space, invest three. So, 877 771 0615. And then you're going to text invest three. And that's going to tell me you came from DeRay and then we'll start this conversation back and forth, what you're interested in. And uh, it, my desire is to help transform people's wealth. Because if I can help you transform your wealth and you've got the heart to actually transform people, we can transform the world together. 
So again, 877-771-0615. And you're going to text INVEST3. You guys can also go to uh, www.boroncap.com. So it's like Boron Capital, but just cap. So Boron Cap, B-O-R-O-N-C-A-P.com. You can see our investment offerings and so forth. Uh, man, my desires are pouring to you guys. There's so much happening right now. We've got to beat inflation. And as investors, we can do it together. I love it. I love it. I love it. Thank you, Mr. Tompkins. And everything that we discussed on today's episode will be in the show notes, ladies and gentlemen. Again, Mr. Tompkins, thank you for all that you do in this community. And we will talk to you very, very soon.